Welcome to another episode of Riding on Caffeine, the podcast where you can come along on a journey with a father and daughter as we attempt to write our first novels. I am Jonathan Franzone, and this is my daughter. I'm Reagan, also Franzone. So we are back at our new regular place, my house, recording this episode. And what are you drinking this evening, Reagan? I'm drinking a hot caramel macchiato. Is it any good? It is good, yeah. And I am having some bourbon neat. Mm. This is called Redemption Bourbon. It's good? It's all right. It's not my favorite. Mm. So how's the writing going, Reagan? You know, I actually got some stuff done this week. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, And I've done like a little bit at work here and there for the past couple weeks. So So how do you write at work? You're a nurse, right? I am a nurse, yeah. Um, I get occasional spurts of downtime, and I use an app called Tome. Oh, okay. And I just, it has like worksheets to help with your like plot and characters and stuff, and I'll work on those while I'm at work. Just on your phone? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. So I actually wrote today earlier, so I prepared the notes for this and then decided to have a writing session. Only got about 250 words in. Yeah. I find that since I don't write very often, every time I do write, I have to spend like 15 minutes to 30 minutes just getting back into the story, reading through my outline, looking at where I left off. and yeah. It's really annoying. It's like becoming familiar with characters again. Yes. You know, that's why everybody's like, if you're going to write, write consistently. Write every day. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think that's very important. Yeah. Before we get going, just a reminder that we are hosting a giveaway for three books on writing. Uh, So stick around until the end to hear more about that or hit pause and go to the website writingoncaffeine.com to find out more. Tonight we're going to be talking about inner dialogue, Mm. he thought to himself. So the first matter of importance, how do you spell dialogue? (laughs) D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E. Yeah, so there are two different ways of spelling it. One without the U-E and one with. Yeah. So without it is the American way and the U-E on the end is the British way. Hmm. Which I feel like is more sophisticated. So that's the version I use. The real question is, how do you spell gray? I spell gray, G-R-E-Y. That's how I spell it, too. Which I think is also the British way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps we're Brits. Perhaps. Perhaps not. So um, the first and primary question is, what is inner dialogue? It's basically um, thoughts and feelings that your character have um, that they express on the page. So this is internal to themselves and not spoken out loud. Uh, it's a technique that allows readers to hear what a character is thinking. Yes. Usually, um, well, I guess this is kind of moving on to the second topic, but it's usually written in italics. Yeah. Yeah, this is Brandon Sanderson's advice. Mm-hmm. Um, he just says, throw it in italics and be done with it. And you can use the the attribution or the dialogue. Yeah, the dialogue tag. So you could say he thought or she thought or whatever. To make it really clear, but that's kind of optional depending on the context, I think. Yeah. And then in larger, larger blocks, um, like a big flashback, that's all inner thoughts. It could not be italicized. Do you 
plan on writing flashbacks in your book? No. Me neither. I plan on having like a few moments of like reflection. Right. But not flashback. And this is something that they do in the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah? Is like Katniss will talk to herself about things that happened in the past. Yeah. But it's not like a flashback because you're not getting a blow by blow, you know? This book I'm... Just finished, we'll talk about it at the end, but he used a lot of that, and it drove me nuts. Mm. Too much is hard to swallow. It was like almost every section began with some inner thought process about the past. Ew. Or what they were currently struggling with. I didn't like it. Sounds annoying. Yeah, so why use inner dialogue? Mm. Um, So I came up with five reasons um, for using inner dialogue in writing. First is character development. Inner dialogue allows readers to understand a character's thoughts, emotions, and motivations. It provides a deeper insight into their personality and complexities. Mm -hmm. So basically, you can reveal more about your character by what they're saying to themselves. Yeah. Something that people do wrong when writing internal dialogue is they will change like speech patterns during internal dialogue. Oh, yes. Like they won't use the same... Like slang words that a character will use out loud, they won't use them in the internal dialogue, and then it feels not authentic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I read a couple articles. Um, I'll link them all in the show notes, but one of them was mentioning that, like, if you're going to use, if you're going to use, if you're writing a southern novel and you you use y'all, then in their inner dialogue, they need to say y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you can't have them just automatically when they're thinking their head say. You know, you or you-ins mm-hmm. or use guys. Right. <laughs> because that's it's not going to make any sense. Right. Characters speak in their head how they speak out loud. Yeah, usually. Though sometimes I speak French in my head. Not really. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Conflict illustration. Helps illustrate internal conflicts and dilemmas, showcasing the struggles a character faces within themselves, which might not be evident through actions or external dialogue. Yeah, so this just could unpack some conflict um, to the reader, which isn't apparent to the characters in the story. Mm -hmm. I've actually got it. We're going to read some examples at the end. I've got an example of this where this lady, you're hearing her inner dialogue. And she knows something really big is about to go down, and this other guy does not. Oh, fun. And so she's kind of talking about it in her head right before everything happens. Gotcha. So it it really sets up the conflict in a nice way, I thought. That's fun. Um, so the third one, plot enhancement. Inner dialogue can advance the plot by revealing crucial information, intentions, or secrets that are not disclosed through external interactions. Mm-hmm. So obviously secrets, you know, you could think about them in your head without giving them away. And even that that example I just mentioned reveals some of her intentions Yeah. for something that's coming up really soon. I feel like sometimes, I just thought about this, but if I'm reading something and a character says in their head, I hope they don't blah, 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 blah. I feel like... That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Like, I feel like that's almost foreshadowing. Yeah. You know, it, it could almost be an inner dialogue cliche. It's like a 
what would you call it? Like Brandon Sanderson's like promises you made to your audience. Uh, if you put a like, gun on the mantle, then by the end of the scene, someone has to get shot. Right. If you say something's not going to happen, it has to happen. Right. right. So I don't know. I feel like that. That happens a lot in internal dialogue. Yeah, I think you're right. Number four is creating suspense or irony. It can create suspense or dramatic irony where the audience knows something through a character's thoughts that other characters in the story do not, which is kind of similar to the plot enhancement. Yeah, that's basically the same. And finally, number five, relatability and empathy. By revealing a character's innermost thoughts and feelings, inner dialogue can make characters more relatable and evokes empathy, sympathy or empathy from the reader. Mm -hmm. If they're talking in their head about something they're really struggling with, like they could be at a public social gathering with lots of people and they could be talking in their head about how much they just want to get out of there and go retreat. <laughs> I would say, yeah, girls, hey. <laughs> so for you reading a book like that, that would help you to relate to a character because mm -hmm. you're not real big on huge crowds. No. All right. Now we have tips for writing inner dialogue. These three tips I got from an article on Red Lounge for Writers. I will link to that in the notes. Okay. Um, and these tips, um, she says in the article that they're basically the same tips for regular dialogue, but then she customizes them a bit for for inner dialogue. Gotcha. So in, internal dialogue must be important. That seems obvious. Yeah. Contrasting internal thoughts with spoken words significantly enhances character development, and it adds tension to the storyline. Additionally, inner dialogue can creatively convey interactions with characters who are not physically present, enriching the narrative. So imagine someone's in a situation that reminds them of their dead um, grandfather, and they could, while in the situation, they could talk to their grandfather in their head. Mm -hmm. And that could add quite a, a bit of, add a layer to the narrative that wouldn't be there without it. Right. And like I said, the first time we recorded this, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like in Mistborn when um, Vin has conversations with her brother in her head while he's not there. Right. It's yeah. not a telepathy. She's just imagining what he would say yeah. and responding. Yeah. It's like somebody that you normally would talk with about something that's going on isn't there and so you just have the conversation anyway right without them mm -hmm. yeah have you ever done that yes <laughs> but i mean i don't have a lot of internal dialogue but i i think in my head so and so would say that i should do this yeah you know kind of third person mm -hmm. just think about it number two number two uh internal dialogue must be authentic for internal dialogue to resonate with readers, it must be authentic, reflecting the true voice and thought process of the character. It should mirror the character's personality and experiences, making their internal struggles and reflections feel genuine and relatable. Yeah, so earlier we talked about um, if you're writing a Southern novel mm -hmm. and people around here say, y'all, uh, when your character drops into inner dialogue, you don't want to have them say, use guys. Or, right, or you all. Or you all. Yeah, you don't want to just deviate back to proper English just because it's internal dialogue. You need the characters to think in the same... The same voice that they have normally. Yeah. And finally, what's around the internal dialogue, the context, is just as important as the dialogue itself. 
The surrounding context, both narrative and spoken dialogue, plays a pivotal role in enhancing the impact of inner dialogue. Yeah. It's essential that these elements work in harmony with the external context providing a foundation that gives depth and relevance to a character's character's internal thoughts. So you want the inner dialogue to work alongside the context of the situation and not just be some random thought that they have Mm -hmm. unless they're extremely ADHD in your story. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That might be fun, but I don't know. This article, I think it was this one. Maybe it was another article said how to develop inner dialogue. A neat exercise would be to try writing your own inner dialogue. So do you have your own inner dialogue? No. <laughs> <laughs> I I do tend to have inner dialogue. I I think we talked about this. Like a lot of times you're just thinking about situations. Yeah. But you're not necessarily saying it as if you were talking to someone else. I never like if I'm doing something and I think I shouldn't do that thing in my head, I'm not saying, no, don't do that. You know? Yeah. But I have thought things like that before. So (laughs) I don't typically. I just I don't know how to explain what goes on in my head. Right. There's a lot of darkness and just like (laughs) stream of consciousness happening. A lot of stream of consciousness. I have been in situations where like something's happening and there's a crowd of people talking and I'm looking at a person and I know this person and I'm thinking, please don't say that. Please don't say that. And this is going in my head, yeah. like, literally just like that. Uh-huh. Please, please don't say what I know you're about to say. <laughs> so, or do what you're about to do. Or, right. Or something somewhere. So, yeah, I think that written out in a story could add a lot of flavor mm-hmm. um, to whatever you're doing. Um, you want to get into some examples yeah, of inner dialogue? How many examples did you bring? Um, two? I brought two books, and I have, I think, one or two examples from both. Okay. Well, I'll go first. I brought one from Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Okay. Since we love Brandon Sanderson. This is the Brandon Sander Fans podcast. That's right. So this is Way of Kings. So this is Dalinar. He's a king. He's one of the, the characters. Not he's not a king. He's a prince. Uh, he's the king's uncle. That's right. Dalinar watched his son leave, striding purposefully away. He would make a good high prince. Dalinar's decision was a simple one. Was it time to step aside and let his son take his place? If he took this step, Dalinar would be expected to stay out of politics, retiring to his lands and leaving Adelin to rule. It was a painful decision to contemplate, and he had to be careful not to make it hastily. But if he really was going mad, as everyone in the camp seemed to believe, then he had to step down. And soon, before his condition progressed to the point that he no longer had the presence of mind to let go, a monarch is in control, he thought, remembering a passage from the Way of Kings. Roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) He provides stability. It is his service and his trade good. If he cannot control himself, then how can he control the lives of men? What merchant worth his stormlight won't partake of the very fruit he sells? Odd that those quotes still came to him even as he was wondering if they had, in part, driven him to madness. Niter, he said, fetch my warhammer. 
have it waiting for me at the staging field. The interesting thing about this quote, um, this inner dialogue that I liked was the inner dialogue is actually a quote from a book that he's reading. Yeah. And so he's he's playing back a quote from this book in his head, mm -hmm. which is relevant to this situation. And it even like before and after, it's kind of breaking down what he's thinking in narrative form. And then it breaks into this inner dialogue, which is actually what he's thinking. Yeah. It's interesting to me, this is not related, but this is what I took <laughs> away, that you call his son Adeline. What do you call him? Adolin. <laughs> <laughs> Adolin is a girl's name. <laughs> nice. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah, funny. I just I just started reading another book. It's um by a Russian author, and every time I get to a new name, I spend like twenty seconds just trying to pronounce the name yeah. in my head. Like. I was looking at <laughs> while they were walking across the fields of <laughs> exactly. reading right now. All right. You want to do one of your, your examples? Sure. Um, fourth. Yeah. So um, my first example is from the Hunger Games. Hunger Games. And this book is written in first person. So this is where Peta and Katniss are on the train. Hamish, I think, has just like puked all over himself. And PETA has offered to take him back to get him cleaned up. All right, I say. I can send one of the capital people to help you. There's any number on the train, cooking for us, waiting on us, guarding on us, taking care of us is their job. No, I don't want them, says PETA. I nod and head to my own room. I understand how PETA feels. I can't stand the sight of the capital people myself, but making them deal with Hamish might be a small form of revenge. So I'm pondering the reason why he insists on taking care of Hamish, and all of a sudden, I think, it's because he's being kind, just as he was kind to give me the bread. The idea pulls me up short. A kind Peter Malark is far more dangerous to me than an unkind one. Kind people have a way of working their way inside me and rooting there, and I can't let Peter do this, not where we're going. So I decide, from this moment on, to have as little as possible to do with the baker's son. Now, the interesting thing about first-person narrative is I have a hard time distinguishing, like, when it is actually inner dialogue. Because, to me, it all sounds like inner dialogue. Because mm -hmm. they're, they're telling the story from their perspective. Yeah. It's like they're talking to you. Yeah. So, I guess the difference would be they're talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is interesting. Yeah. So, I think this is, like, one of those instances where you would use dialogue tags. Yeah, she literally used it there. Which I thought to myself. Very helpful. Yeah, I brought one from uh, Twilight, which I'm reading. Thank goodness. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> I'm only reading this because I did finish my manuscript last year. <laughs> and this may not actually be in her dialogue, but it's the one I found, so I'll read it. It may just be first-person narrative. But it was extremely cringe, too, which I thought was fun. I'm very excited. This is Edward talking. Bella, his voice shouldn't have been so familiar to me, as if I'd known the sound of it all my life rather than for just a few short weeks. I turned slowly, unwillingly. I didn't want to feel what I knew I would feel when I looked at his too-perfect face. My expression was weary when I finally turned to him. His expression was unreadable. He didn't say anything. Barf. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's terrible. 
Because she's talking about like she knew what she would feel when she looked at his too perfect face. I don't know. It sounds like inner dialogue to me. It's Maybe it's not. in the sun. Yeah, it was. Oof, you got a long ways to go there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just over 100 pages in. So also I have one from Paralandra by C.S. Lewis. Do you want me to read my next one or you want to read? Yeah, go ahead. Read, okay. read your next one. All right. My second one is also from Hunger Games. And a lot of a lot of the dialogue, internal dialogue with Katniss is her basically sabotaging herself. Like it's self-sabotage, which is why when I annotated it, the the tab color that I used, I titled Katniss Fertness versus Katniss. <laughs> um, so this is after they go on the chariots and they're like on fire. Peta is talking. He says, I'm sure they didn't notice anything but you. You should wear flames more often, he says. They suit you. And he gives me a smile that seems so genuinely sweet with just the right touch of shyness that unexpected warmth rushes through me. A warning bell goes off in my head. Don't be so stupid. Peta is planning how to kill you, I remind myself. <laughs> he is luring you in to make you easy prey. The more likable he is, the more deadly he is. Nice. <laughs> Which is completely not true because Katniss is the most unreliable narrator ever. Funny. But I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's a good one. So my example from Paralandra by C.S. Lewis. At first he climbed through dense mists. When these parted, he found himself so high that the concave of the sea seemed to close him in on every side but one. And on that one he saw the rose-red peaks, no longer very distant, and a pass between the two nearest ones, through which he caught a glimpse of something soft and flushed. And now he began to feel a strange mixture of sensations, a sense of perfect duty to enter that secret place which the peaks were guarding, combined with an equal sense of trespass. He dared not go up that pass. He dared not do otherwise. He looked to see an angel with a flaming sword, he knew that Maleldil bade him go on. This is the holiest and the most unholy thing I have ever done, he thought. But he went on. So this is actually in quotes. Yeah. When he thinks it. So I found that interesting that C.S. Lewis actually puts it in quotes just like dialogue. But mm -hmm. then he indicates that it's a thought. All right. Instead of italicizing. That's fair. But he's old school and he's one of the masters. so. Yeah, so no judgment. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. All right, so my my last two internal dialogue are from The Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Mass. I don't know if I need to give context. Should I give context? You don't have to. Uh, she's in a competition. So this is one of the ones where it kind of does like some empathy play because she's in a competition to save her life. They'd done some archery practice a few days earlier and she'd been excellent or as excellent as she could be without attracting attention. And she'd killed men for long, from longer shots than the furthest target. Clean shots, too, right through the throat. She tried to swallow, but her mouth was dry. I am Selena Sardothian, Adarlan's assassin. If these men knew who I was, they'd stop laughing. I am Selena Sardothian. I am going to win. I will not be afraid. That's definitely inner dialogue. Yeah. Talking to herself. Yeah. Giving herself courage. Yeah, kind of pumping herself up. Yep. So my final example is from Ride Sally Ride by Douglas Wilson. Um, so this is a great part of the story. Um, this lady who I think is a lawyer. I don't remember all the characters. Yeah. But she's going to a press conference. Mm -hmm. 
And this guy's going to be getting up and saying a bunch of leftist things. Uh, so one of the tenets of the left is believe all women, always. Okay. So this comes from the Me Too movement. If a woman says whatever, then you have to believe her, like even if she's notoriously a liar or whatever. Right. And so this lawyer, she's at this press conference, and she's going to use this against the guy who's speaking. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy who's a complete scumbag who's there, and he thinks she's on their side. And they make eye contact. And so then this goes down. While she was standing there, back to the wall, waiting for Glastonbury to get his show on the road, her eyes accidentally met Lionel's, and he nodded at her approvingly. Good to see you here, he vibed at her. Let him think that for a few minutes. After that time, she thought, he will cease thinking that, and he will think it no more. The thought filled her with some measure of satisfaction. Yeah, that's a good... So right after this, the guy who's not Lionel, but this other guy, Dwight, gets up and is talking about several things. But he includes in that that you should always believe women. And then she just blurts out in the middle of his speech, then why did you molest me, Dwight, when I was 13? Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) With all the cameras rolling, it just goes into complete chaos. Yeah. That's a great book. Yeah. That was a really good book. Mm-hmm. So what do you have? Okay. My last section here is from the, this is kind of a similar thing. She's kind of pumping herself up, but this is at the end of the, end of the, the trial, right? That she's in. It's down to her and one other guy. And he's like using magic that he's not supposed to use. Cheater. Yeah. He's like drugged her and stuff. So. He slipped her a roofie? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're fighting like hand to hand combat. Uh. So. Kneeling on the ground, Selena gasped for breath, unable to find her way out of the hallucination and back into reality. Here, the dead surrounded her, waiting. The shadow thing that was Cain stood nearby, watching, his burning eyes his only distinguishing feature. Darkness rippled around Cain like shreds of clothing in the wind. She would die soon. Light and darkness, life and death, where do I fit in? The thoughts had a jolt through her, so strong, that her hands fumbled for anything to use against him. Not like this. She'd find a way. She could find a way to survive. I will not be afraid, she whispered. Not like this. Not like this. She does win, so. That reminds me of that scene in The Matrix Mm -hmm. when they realize that guy has, like, betrayed them and they're trying to dial back in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That that one lady in all white, I can't remember her name, she was like, not like this. Yeah. Before she gets killed. All right, so what um, what books have you finished or are currently reading? You want to go first because I got to pull up my Goodreads and figure out what's going on. Yeah, so I finished The Desert Spear. It was really good. I'm probably not going to read the rest of the series, at least not right now. Is um, that The Warded Man? Yeah, The oh. Warded Man series, The Demon Cycle Wars or yeah. something like that. Um, so that was really good. Um, I also just finished one called The First Colony. Okay. It's part of a Citadel series. Um, So basically, it's a science fiction colonization type thing. And in this book, this is the one that drove me crazy. So every single section, he just jumps from like different character to different character. Mm -hmm. There's all these little sections for each chapter. And almost every section, he starts with some just inner monologue talking about the past or dialogue. I don't know what it is, but like, 
you know, it, it can't just like be action. She's walking across the field and doing stuff. It's, you know, she's thinking of, you know, her date with Kobe and how terrible it was or whatever. Oh, okay. Just every single section starts this way. Um, so I finished that, give it three stars. Nice. Gosh, I just blanked. Yeah. That's <laughs> Is that why you bring out your Goodreads? Yes. Oh, yes. I started listening to an audiobook called Year Zero. Okay. Which is pretty hilarious. So it's about um, these aliens um, all around the galaxy who have discovered the magnificence of human music. Yeah, I think you were telling me about this. Yeah, so um, these all of these different races in space, um, the arts is the great thing. So once you get past like surviving and developing science and all this, the next level of evolution is to just immerse yourself in the arts and become the best at arts. Um, but for all of these aliens, none of them are as good at music as the humans who aren't as advanced as they are. Mm -hmm. And so they're all, you know, listening to their music. And then they started doing some research into earth law and realized that because they've taken so much music from earth that they owe the earthlings a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And so then they send these two representatives down to talk with this lawyer. He's the main character. He works for a copyright law firm. Okay. They handle music copyrights. Nice. And they think he's one of, um, they think, one, because of his name, he's a member of a boy band. And then also that he's the head of the law firm. But in actuality, he's not part of a boy band. And he's about to be fired from the law oh, firm. Oh, no. <laughs> so then he, like, has all these um encounters with different aliens so all of the aliens are coming and then trying to like angle for what's going on gotcha so i'm not too far in but it uses the one thing i don't really care for is it uses a lot of language yeah um which is kind of rough so mm. yeah. but yeah that's all i've got going all right oh no it's not i just started last night i started um the brothers karamazov by okay dostoyevsky okay and this is the book I was telling you. Every time I get to a new name, I have to try to like say the name in my head. So it's kind of frustrating. And also, Twilight. Yes. <laughs> and also Twilight. <laughs> I'm trying to forget that one. <laughs> you got to finish it, man. You're just drawing out your suffering. Yeah, I'll finish it. All right. So currently reading, I'm in the middle of a book called Juniper and Thorn by Ava Reed. It's a Russian folktale retelling cool um it's also you know got like a bunch of russian names in it so i have no idea what anybody's name is right or where they are or what's <laughs> happening um it's not great but you know it is what it is i started reading the warded man i think i got a few chapters in so like technically it's on my currently reading list but mm -hmm. i've not really touched it in a while the what part are you at do you even remember they're like in a little town this little cart pulls up and Okay, you're, yeah, very beginning. Yeah, so not very far at all. Yeah. Um, Still reading The Return of the Wizard King by Chad Corey. I'm about halfway through that one. I finished reading The Wicked King by Holly Black. One star. <laughs> that, that was bad, garbage, huh? so I didn't like that. And then I finished reading Air of Fire, which is the third Throne of Glass book. Okay. This is my fourth read through it. Tank. Um, <laughs> it's my annotation read. Also... I'm currently reading Queen of Shadows, which is the fourth one. Right. I'm reading them through because Avery's reading them through, and I'm trying to like go through and 
Avery's your sister. Yes. <laughs> I'm reading that. Um, I'm reading The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit. By Ooh. Michael Finkel. It was recommended to me by a friend. Interesting. Um, Nonfiction? Yeah. Cool. I don't know. I'm only like three chapters in. And then also Maze Runner by James oh, Dashner. Yeah. So I've heard of Maze Runner. I've never read it. but It's not great so far. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm not reading a lot of good books that I enjoy right now. I'm just kind of like puttering through a bunch of books that I'm not really enjoying very much. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, what the fourth um, way of kings? What is it? The yeah, the Cosmere cycle or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the the fourth book in that series is coming out in mm. December. The fifth book. Fifth book. Yeah. In December. So I've been toying with the idea of reading all four again, leading up to that. But those are big books. You should listen to them. Maybe. I like listening to the Way of Kings. Yeah. I liked the narrator. I might do that. I've got to finish reading them because I've only read The Way of Kings. They're all very good. Yeah, I know they are. It's an investment, though. It is. And it requires, like, so much brain power. Yeah. Atlas Shrugged was a big investment. <laughs> yeah, a whole year investment. A year and a half. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I conquered it, though. Good job. All right, um, before we close up, to celebrate another season and to promote the podcast to more listeners, we are giving away three books on writing. I mentioned this earlier at the beginning. So the three books are Wordsmithy, Hot Tips for the Writing Life by Douglas Wilson, On Writing and Writers by C.S. Lewis, and Adorning the Dark, Thoughts on Community, Calling, and the Mystery of Making by Andrew Peterson. To mm. enter this giveaway, go to the website, writingoncaffeine.com. You just need to enter your email address, and then there will be other sharing options that will give you more entries. So thank you for joining us in this episode of Writing on Caffeine. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks. Please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. If you are so inclined, leave us a review. Five-star reviews are preferable. Be sure to visit the website, writingoncaffeine.com, where you can view the show notes and subscribe to our email list, which now works, so that you never miss an episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so take two. The first time recording did not take. <laughs> we got about halfway through and realized we had no audio, so that's fun. <laughs> So here we go again. <laughs> <laughs>